from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got a dystopian fantasy by Jeremy Hardcastle called Roots of Drexil, a thrilling dystopian horror set in an original fantasy world. Fallen creatures, oldest gods, and privileged descendants stand in the way of a diverse cast of characters as they struggle with surviving and learning the secrets of the world around them. Jeremy Hardcastle is a 37-year-old amateur writer. He has a background in retail management and wild misadventures for the past 20 years and currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee. He loves music and loved live shows before COVID, cats, manga, horror movies, and doing things off the beaten path. And now a sample of Roots of Dragsil, episode two. Sticks of smoldering embers march underneath the forest canopy. The branches from pine trees that rose to the heavens seem to sag down upon a concrete dome with moss climbing the structure to meet in a green embrace. The smoke that danced above the snaking flames smelled of Paul incense, born from the torchbearers at the front and the back of the procession. In between them, a crowd lurched along, bearing five gurneys, entirely wrapped in white cloth. They entered the dome within a large dark void, with a stray strand of sunlight appearing like spider silk. The torchbearers made their way to the walls, finding sconces to place their torches, which then danced oddly. They placed the gurneys upon the already laid out pyres, encircling a large scaffolding with a podium at its center. A group of individuals dressed in ceremonial robes walked up to the stage where two of them pressed switch boxes that briefly illuminated a flow of lights running across thin wires that snaked out to the walls of the dome. The torches went silent, and the entire arena bathed in an artificial light with a purple hue. The crowds gathered into apparent groups of familiarity before the pyres. They spoke in hushed and solemn tones. As the officiators took their places on the platform, they looked towards the entrance. Some of the crowd took notice and also looked back where three figures stood in ragged hoods and cloaks. Lowering their hoods in respect, they began moving towards the crowd gathered around the edges of the dome, and they nodded in acknowledgment of the parties, who were clearly grieving as they gathered before the pyres. The tallest cloak figure was a man with a chiseled face and the eyes the color of burnt-out charcoal. He ran his hand through his barely kempt hair as if having a moment of self-consciousness. On his right was a woman standing about shoulder height with warm red hair that clearly was not a natural color. She looked sharply about with green eyes set in shadow. On her right was a woman that stood tall in her own right, with youthful and assuming features and lavender-tinted eyes that looked at nothing in particular beneath her long, wavy brunette hair. A man wearing official-looking clothing underneath an old leather duster approached him. His hairline had almost retreated to the back of his scalp, and he had well kept his beard. His face was gaunt, and the bags underneath his eyes gave away the fact that he was an exhausted man. He stood before them and gave a half-smile that wrinkled his face into itself. The short redhead returned the smile and offered a white-gloved hand in greeting. He accepted her hand graciously. Welcome to the Leoris Township. You can call me Wallstaff. I'm kind of the sheriff here, and you folks are? The woman retracted her hand. I'm Charlie, a retired field surgeon from the docking capital. These are my servants, she gestured enthusiastically, first towards the men next to her, then towards the woman with him. Dan's and Demolin. We traveled from the coast and saw the procession in the valley. We parked our van and came by to pay our respects. Wallstaff scratched his beard, his mouth slightly agape. Well, we appreciate that. The folks of Leoris had a rough go at it this past season. If you're trying to return to the capital, I'm afraid you might be pretty far off to make it before winter sets in and the road ceases operations. 
Wallstaff glanced back every so often to gauge the readiness of the ceremony. Charlie nodded at him. Yes, well, we noticed Leoris appear on the hub in our van. My group was wondering if we could ride out the winter here. Of course, there are services we can provide. Wallstaff sighed and said, Can't say that we don't need the help. When you bring your van to the Port Authority, check in there and ask for Yulsef. He is one of my deputies. Tell him I requested you and he will bring you to my office, which isn't far from the port. I'll look over your credentials and we can work something out. I believe the priests are starting soon. If you don't mind, Waldorf smiled and wandered back into the crowd towards the front. The three watched from the back as one of the robed figures approached the podium, laying his hood down to reveal a round shaved head upon a tightly girthy chin and neck. When he spoke, he bellowed loud and clear, resounding throughout the whole of the arena. Everleth and the oldest ones from time memorial gifted us with immense understanding. She gave us a choice to have dominion of our world and then gifted us with the immense power of the chrism. From this, it forever made us illuminated. It is with this that we have striven to walk beside her and them as fellows, bathed in the light of understanding that is still beyond our reach. And it is with the chrism that we return our sons, our daughters, our kin, to them in hopes to one day meet again within that endless stream. With the most honored of those laid out before us, present their dear one with the possibility of this gift? From the familiar groups gathered before the pyre stepped five individuals. Each one pressed a small blue and purple gem into the crossed arm of the wrapped bodies. The priest nodded down. And now would the most beloved come forward to bid them farewell on their eternal journey? Another five, this time all women, dressed in veils, stepped forward with ceramic pitchers. They poured a clear, vicious oil atop the gems before stepping back to the crowds, who all huddled in comfort. Blue flames slowly engulfed the white bandages before setting upon the pyre. The flames dripped purple upon the concrete until they left nothing of the bodies nor the pyres. Charlie turned her attention, eyes squinted in concern, as Dan's breathing became more labored as the fire burned out. A red tint smoldered within his charcoal eyes. He stared at a scene no one else seemed to notice beyond the crowd, a spot between the scaffolding and the place where the bodies had once been. A giant of a woman glared intensely at him. The woman's white robes, raven-dark hair, and eyes glowed with an ethereal blue. Her lips pursed together. Her unblinking gaze and stationary stance all appeared to focus entirely on Dan's. Charlie waved a hand before him. Hey! Sweat beaded on Dan's forehead. Is she there? No, she never is. We just got into town. Calm your shit. You can grab a drink at the van before settling in for the night. We'll drive to the port in the morning. Charlie and Demolin put their hoods back up before setting off for the entrance. Charlie placed a hand on his shoulder to direct him as he hesitated before moving to leave his will. Let's get out of this basement. So, JP, before we talk to our author, let's talk about Pro Writing yeah. Aid. Pro Writing Aid. You know, what? one of the things that I love is that it shows you your achievements. Um, and I love that it gives you this wordle of like your grammar improvement. So you can see all mm -hmm. of the things that you improved. It's like super motivating to me to look at all the improvements I've made in adverbs and verbs and commas and hyphens and all of that. So I love that they send that. And they show how my style is improving. And the cool part is that over time, it's like there are less and less improvements that because I'm just becoming a better writer. So I love that part. I Yeah, no, I love it. I really like it when I am first drafting because then I see it all the time. When I'm not first drafting, I like rarely see the word map. But when I am... Uh, first drafting, which a lot of people are probably doing or have done because of NaNoWriMo, um, 
you get to see this like progress that you make on a weekly basis and like see where your your pitfalls are, uh, which will only help you later on. Uh, and it just shows you your progress. It's the it's the coolest thing ever. I really enjoy uh, getting those emails when I'm first drafting. When I'm not, it makes me motivated to make more words because then I feel guilty. <laughs> I feel like I'm first drafting every day. I keep joking that uh, serial fiction is nan- NaNoWriMo every day. So I'm like, every day is NaNoWriMo for me. I'm not doing it because, you know, I'm already putting four to six K out a week into the world. So, but yeah, it's awesome. Well, that's because you're a monster, but thanks. you know, <laughs> I try. you're I try. welcome. I'm glad you're a monster. But yeah, so, so pro writing aid for monsters and people, prowritingaid.com yes. and use our discount code serial 20. Serial S-E-R-I-A-L 20. Do it. Do it. The monster inside demands it. <laughs> So we've got old gods, superpowered descendants, all in a dystopian modern world, and a magic band. What inspired you to write this tale with such a mashup of genres and old and new world settings? Uh, I was inspired by a wide variety of genres, uh, but mainly I drew inspiration from, I'm a huge fan of uh, particularly manga. Uh, Berserk as one of my all-time favorites who, Kentaro Minura, recently passed away, of course, which spurred me to go ahead and write this. Uh, huge inspiration for me. Uh, but I'm also a fan of telling a story from a variety of, of point of views. Uh, and that's why I kind of have a diverse cast of characters with different problems, different issues, uh, all coming together to solve kind of a common problem nice so like you just said there you you love manga uh berserk seems to have been an influence uh i also hear you like horror movies uh was there any other media that may have influenced the serial uh yeah so i'm a big fan of more cerebral horrors uh like it follows uh the conjuring more of like a supernatural feel but not I don't quite go full in supernatural, uh, but quite that that creepy haunting feeling that something's either watching you or something's manipulating you or something can see you, uh, which uh, if you guys read any of it, uh, I try to do that in the while I'm doing the storytelling and everything, uh, that, that there's something out there that's able to hear you, see you, touch you, draw you in follow you things of that nature yeah definitely that's my favorite kind of horror too so i love that um so can you tell us a little more about this magic van and the way it works without spoilers without spoiling too much i mean it's kind of a dystopian future um i mean it's not exactly earth or it's a, a unique setting but uh it's technology left over from a past age and it's run by a network that was set up by past age. And because it was abused in the past age, they're limited to only using the roads. And these vans are limited to only working on the roads. Uh, so they kind of run on like a more or less like a light track. I think I explained it in that. Chrism is my energy method, which I do talk about. Uh, in the second part that I'm still working on, uh, talk more about, you know, electricity is kind of a, a lost art and everything. So they run off that chrism and they, it kind of works like a magnetic track almost, like a pull. 
kind of like magic, but not really magic. So that's really cool. And like you had mentioned, you you like those those creepy horrors like it follows. And we definitely noticed that with that phantom wood woman. Um that you know we're seeing that one of the characters is seeing this this phantom woman uh what is one thing about this story about this like phantom or about like that lore involving that sort of strangeness that you want listeners to know or to be excited about uh that definitely leads to more uh the, the story is going to branch out in different directions uh the second story which i've, I've put out the first three chapters i believe uh, and I'm working on more currently that should be coming out hopefully by the end of the month. Uh, but it builds in, the story starts branching off into different characters. There's a different main character for the second story. And eventually they all come together in the third story. And it'll kind of all come together. But definitely it branches out into uh, different issues. Like I said, different issues, different problems, unique issues with each character. And they all kind of culminate in this ultimate this ultimate event more or less a big event nice so with so many characters with different storylines that are going to kind of merge together uh can you tell us about one character you're excited for readers to read about and why uh yeah uh i'm always ex i'm excited for the main character in the second story uh astia which i reference her in the first story uh that she was She's a descendant, which the second story really focuses on the descendants and their abilities. And I kind of hint at aspects uh, that descendants have particular aspects, which she's one of them, which I get into right away in the second, the second part. Uh, and she has the aspect of control and she's the most frightening and most uh, powerful descendant, more or less, uh, in that she's not only frightening because she has the aspect of control, but she's frightening because she's trained with all these people and learned from the ground up, not just as a descendant, but as a superhuman more or less. But she also has the ability to control other descendants and force their actions. And she can make them stop breathing and she can force them to stand down. Uh, so she's a frightening character for everyone in the world. But she's also the main focus of the second story, her storyline and her past. And she has her own unique issues and even her abilities have drawbacks. If you notice, every ability, every character has their own drawbacks. You know, and her ability, even though she's able to use this aspect of control, whenever she does it, she's not able to hear anything. That's excellent. I also noticed that even your title, Drigsil, harkens back to that world tree, the Yggdrasil, in North, Norse mythology. How did that mythology and other mythologies play a role in crafting this story world? Uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of Nordic mythology, of course, Norse mythology. But also, uh, one, of my, one of the big inspirations, and this is kind of a unique call-out, uh, probably nobody's heard of it or played it, but there was a video game I played when I was a kid called Breath of Fire 3. Uh, it was an RPG, and uh, I really enjoyed it because it wasn't one of these save-the-world type RPGs. It was like one of these, you're going on an adventure of discovery RPGs. It's, you know, there's no ultimate, you know, evil that you have to defeat. Uh, but one of the characters is 
Yggdrasil, they reference that consistently as a, a point of recovery for the world. And that's kind of what they're looking for. They're looking for the roots of Drusil. Drusil was one of these uh, oldest who tried to invest in all of the races and tried to impart his wisdom to everyone and tried to make this better world. But he failed, and they're looking for his legacy, more or less. Nice. So in addition to um, the mythology you're using, was there any other sort of research you did in making the serial? Uh, not a lot of research, just a lot of inspiration and just a lot of, you know, ideas. You know, like I said, uh, with Contorum in Europe yeah, passing, I felt the urge to go ahead and put my ideas on paper. Uh, I had talked about it for a long time. I kicked around the ideas for a long time. And I was finally, my friends were like, hey, why don't you just finally write it? And that's what I did. And uh, I was initially going to write slower, at a slower pace. Uh, but once I got into it, I finished the first story within six weeks, uh, I believe. And I put out the chapters right one after the other, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's mainly what pushed me to finally do this is that, you know, you have to eventually put pen to paper, which was the biggest challenge for me. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I see that you may have had a history in working retail. Is there any wild retail or other misadventures that find their way into the serial? Uh, I mean, unique characters, yeah. Uh, in retail, you encounter all kinds of people. So it's given me a wide variety of personalities to work with. Uh, I've encountered pretty much any kind. Uh, you know, we had a guy that we called Crackers, for example. You know, he, he loved to come out and sit with us during break or lunch. Uh, and he, but he wouldn't eat in front of us. He was nervous about eating in front of us. So he would go back in and we would just walk by his aisle and he'd be cramming crackers in his mouth. So we just called him crackers. But, uh, you know, it's unique personality traits like that that I try to work in a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's always great to bring in uh, real life characters into our works. So is there anything you haven't explored yet you, that you plan to or want to either in this serial or future works? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a, a short stories. I'm looking work, working on concurrently with uh, part two. Uh, the short stories are more horror geared. Uh, I'm a uh, I'm actually a recovering addict, uh, and some of my nightmares, like withdrawal and everything. So I wanted to translate that into short stories on paper, and. Um, the working title of it's like the tales of purgatory, uh, just kind of nightmares and sweat dreams and everything else. So I'm looking forward to telling that story as well. well. Excellent. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us. Sure. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks today to Jeremy Hardcastle for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. We want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, 
We read all of them and take your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on this episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. Finally, we now have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early and other great stuff. We have tons of things in the works. Check it out at Patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And And that's that's a a wrap. wrap. Like, are you, do you like drummers? I'm just curious because you said Mars Volta and I know they are notoriously difficult with the drums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Diatoni Parks uh, is amazing. Uh, he was also in the Bosnian Rainbows and I believe he's got another band now. Uh, and I love Bosnian Rainbows. He was a big part of that band as well. Uh, yeah. I, I love drummers. I, the drummer for Sloth Rust is amazing as well. Yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of these are indie bands. I'm sure you guys. I don't know if you guys have heard of any of them. I'm an but, indie uh, nerd, so yeah, probably I have. <laughs> I yeah. love indie music. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I definitely drums. Uh, also, guitarist Omar Rodriguez Lopez is, I think, one of the, if not the best guitarist in the world. Uh, and he's been in a number of bands. He's collaborated with Juliet Lewis, who's unfortunately oh, yeah. Yeah. she's like. Scientologist now yeah uh, but you know he was in Bosnian Rainbows he was in he's been in at the drive-in uh Mars Volta uh Antimask uh number of projects and he's got his own he's got his own catalog too of like 20 albums and my favorite personal favorite is his collaboration with uh Minya who's a, a Mexican pop star and she he draws out like a haunting voice in her and everything with his guitar. And Dionne, Diotoni Parks actually drummed for that too, I believe. Cool. Uh, but that's on YouTube as well under the Omar Rodriguez Lopez group. Excellent. Uh, I have some things to look up. That makes me excited. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Okay. I'm ready. Welcome to the Raider Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. It was a lie. Uh, that's- <laughs>